1: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: Welcome to Censored.
2: I'm Dr. Eva Wurtnach. And I'm Dr. Lloyd Maeve Houston.
0: And we are back. Season 11 in the Total Series, but Season 2 in our film special.
2: And, and what a, what a season ahead we have. You know, if last time we were looking mostly at sort of things in and around the emergence of the censorship, you know, we're, we're going from, from the sing, the swinging sixties onward. Although we'll, we'll hear how much they did or didn't swing in Ireland, I guess, in this episode. (laughs) But yeah, lots of stuff from the sixties, seventies and the eighties. So, you know, get your shoulder pads ready and
0: yeah i mean i'm really looking forward to it looking at the list there's going to be some people talking to us as well hopefully about their relationship to certain films and to certain aspects of the censorship so we'll say nothing yet but it's all coming up this season in the next few weeks
2: and look forward to hearing voices other than ours
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah for our own sake (laughs) So we're starting this time with The Rocky Road to Dublin, which is our first documentary. I don't think we've done a non-fiction yet, have we?
2: Yeah, and I guess, a, a, you know, a film that is what exists in one of those sort of penumbra of how the censorship works, where it's, I mean, partly we're doing it because it's very much about the censorious climate of... Ireland in the in the late sixties, or you know that that's kind of its underlying thesis. But also, it's a film that was not outright and formally banned, but was all but prohibited from any form of kind of distribution or, or or screening in in Ireland, with one or two kind of minor and contentious exceptions.
0: Yeah, it's one of these censure kind of examples that show how difficult it is to confine the concept of censorship to. Just what the state does and the laws and the cutting and the certification. There's a kind of a culture that seeps beyond the censorship walls yeah. into how people like to deal with contentious subjects.
2: Yeah, it's, I guess, you know, kind of shadow banned in sort of Instagram terms.
0: <laughs> so it's made by Peter Lennon, who's an. Irishman living in Paris at the time and a journalist and he employed Raoul Coutard and he's described actually by the Irish Times reviewer as possibly the greatest film cameraman in the world today so that's a bit of a coup
2: <laughs> you know we're obviously interested in the film as this artifact of you know a kind of moment in Irish sort of cultural history or a document of you know a culture of sort of censorship but it's probably best known to anyone outside of Ireland as this kind of odd sort of fringe element of the Nouvelle Vague, right? So like Raoul Coutard is, you know, he's fits this project in, in between shooting, I think like a Goddard film and, you know, like a Truffaut or something. Like it's, you know, it's, it's really sort of like, ooh, swanky. <laughs> and very, you know, for its time, sort of cutting edge and, you know, we'll talk more about this i'm sure but there's there's something really interesting <laughs> about seeing kind of often quite stodgy material or or you know figures being kind of shot and engaged with and edited in such a kind of you know dynamic and and you know sort of avant-garde way
0: and it's fair to say that some of it is as a result very beautiful but it's a strange kind of film because it's got the script being narrated by Peter Lennon over the top and then you've the talking heads and then you've these shots that are sometimes quite magnetic so it's a real it's a really unusual piece really in terms of genre yes it is documentary but it has a lot of lyrical elements
2: mm. and in that sense i think it does it feels quite modern in in so far as while it is sometimes a little plodding it does often do things like introduce a topic and then have a kind of quite telling montage in which you just have like lots of, you know, sort of images juxtaposed that kind of tell you more than, you know, an interview in Sean O'Foylein's garden. Or Sean in
0: the in the hydrangeas of all things. <laughs> just
2: <laughs> puffing away on his pipe. <laughs> but, or, you know, some... God some of the like dance hall footage and,
1: uh, <gasps> oh,
0: God. yeah I mean we need to talk about like the levels of second hand embarrassment I was feeling watching that it's,
2: And you know that like you, you can tell that some of the people are being done pretty dirty here like I'm sure especially you know in, in kind of Ireland in that period having a kind of film camera stuck in your face you know makes people more self-conscious than I might do now or whatever and it's clearly like early in the night but <laughs> It's just, it's just this this one rather unprepossessing looking fella who gr- who has a has grossly overestimated his capacities as a mover and shaker, let's say, <laughs> and and who is kind of you know being surrounded of necessity by kind of a huge number of young women who clearly do not want to be. <laughs>
0: He was very much, let's get this party started, you know, out on the dance floor, on his own, like, someone has to do the hard work.
2: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and that air of, like, everyone will thank me for this.
0: (laughs) 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 But what really struck me about that particular section is, they're all sitting on church pews around the outside. It's
2: a tennis club. But even that has the energy of a a church hall somehow. (laughs)
0: it's like how where did you get the church pews from
2: (laughs) (laughs) just leave any room empty in you know in 1960s Ireland for long enough and it'll you know they just manifest (laughs) 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 Um, but yeah I mean I guess to summarize it it proceeds from or it's kind of thesis setting moment implicitly I guess takes its cue from the fact that it was being made just after the fiftieth anniversary of the the rising, so it's kind of the question it hangs itself on is you know you've had your revolution, now what do you do with it? And it you know it it's an indictment, I guess, of the sort of squandered energies of revolutionary energies of that moment, which Lenin feels that people of his generation were were most heir to that you know they they were the first generation to be sort of raised genuflecting to. You know, the, the the men of 1916, but conscious of living in a country that was increasingly coming to to bear no relationship to the sort of revolutionary egalitarian spirit that is attributed to that revolutionary generation. And so we get a kind of representative slice of life, kind of cross-section of different elements of Irish culture or the stymieing sort of forces in that culture, I guess, would. would if that sounds about right.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's a funny one because one of the critiques that Fergus lenehan in the Irish Times gave it was that he felt that the visuals and the narration often pull against each other, that they are sometimes telling very different stories. You feel like the the narration sometimes doesn't match what. The visuals are. And they're not just background either. They are telling another story. So there's huge amounts of movement and energy in it. That was what really struck me. The opening shots, the closing shots, like the closing shots of the children just running and running and running and running, (laughs) you know, which I mean, it's beautifully
2: done it's also just very hard to escape the feeling of like you know exactly what's happening there which is like they pulled up at a school and we're like we've got we're gonna you know someone's gonna sit in the boot of this car with a camera and you just need to chase the car and you can see you know some of the kids are doing it with that kind of you know like beautifully unself conscious sort of glee that it's meant to generate and then this one family nearly like takes someone out with an elbow who's like no 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 i'm gonna catch this car. It's like you've you've been too literal about this <laughs> my, my young friend
0: i I loved all of that movement. I thought it was like the opening when people are walking across the beach and then it also shows the camera moving on a road mm. there's a, there's so much dynamism within it, and then it gets caught with the talking heads who are entirely static who just yeah they're just sitting they're like mushrooms and <laughs> And of course, there are no women at all speaking in this documentary. One, but she's anonymous.
2: Yeah, and to be fair, again, that that's a to the film's credit. That's I think a quite well handled sequence and does interesting things in terms of you know voice and image and, and and their kind of interplay with one another. But yeah, you know, heaven forfend that a woman should speak with authority on a on a topic that isn't just you know, her biology and reproductive kind of... And, you know, obviously, it's important that the film addresses contraception and, you know, bodily autonomy and so on. And, and you know, like I say, I that was a bit... I was like, oh, wow, okay, this is surprisingly sort of forthright. But, yeah, it's not... You know, you wouldn't want to, like, talk to Edna O'Brien about being censored or anything, would you, you know?
0: <laughs> you know, the 60s, like, there are women journalists. Right? right? Like they exist it isn't it isn't quite the 1980s where they've become so like such large media personalities in their own right but you know they exist they work in newspapers you could have asked them
2: there's you know sort of and and like the letters pages of of Irish you know quote unquote women's magazines of the of the sort of 50s and the, but particularly by the time the films being made you do have pretty sometimes slightly wild and ridiculous sounding in their maybe slightly overperformed naivete sort of letters coming in about you know like so, but like there's you know a letter being like it, it, you know if we are intimate in a in a car can you still get pregnant <laughs> <laughs> as, as if being in like a you know moving vehicle would, would mitigate but yeah you know the, there are definitely blind spots and like you say yeah I think that there's a you can see the sort of interplay of personalities behind the project creatively right on the one hand peter lennon has this fairly sort of didactic agenda he sort of talks about how one of the reasons he p- produced the film was um that he was having a lot you know he'd been living away and lots of his friends were being like oh you know look it's not the the, the it's the place is opening up it's a new ireland you know it's not censorious and then he sort of went back and was like No, this is as bad as ever. And then writes a series of articles that run for uh, across about a year for the, for the Guardian, which he, for whom he was a journalist, that I think seems to presumably have provided at least the backbone of the kind of script. And yes, as you say, you've got some stodgy kind of interviews. There's, yeah, of, of Willow in, you know, in his, in his deck chair, just transcribing Bell articles basically, like into the mic.
0: 37 years of saying the same thing. He's just like, I've, I've banged my head off this wall so many times. I'm just going to give you the blandest version because even the venom is gone from his
2: critique. That's something I find interesting about this. It's, it's a film that's often lauded for or t- talked about as a sort of iconoclastic, you know, shot across the bows of a, you know, a, a stolid and kind of conservative culture. And the iconoclasm, particularly that's articulated within it, and often depicted within it, feels so sort of stayed. Like, you know, in some senses, the most sort of radical thing we see, apart from, yes, hearing from a woman who, you know, is talking about kind of using birth control and, like, miscarrying and so on, is just there's a priest that sings, like, secular doo-wop music to a bemused king. <laughs> <laughs> ward full of women <laughs> G- given what we now know about him perhaps is the the most radical figure in that felt in a in a certain light so it's it's peter cleary is that his name
0: father michael, michael cleary. Heary, sorry. yeah
2: yeah who, who you may know as the singing priest if you're of a certain generation and who as was exposed several weeks after he he died and there was no longer a sort of libel consideration had 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 a family by his quote-unquote housekeeper, which makes the moment in the film where, you know, he's kind of got it, like, all but got his chair sort of turned round backwards so, you know, he can talk jive with the kids. It's sort of like, look, you know, we're, we're not against sex. We're we're forced, you know, we're in favor of sex. And it's like, oh, apparently so. <laughs> <laughs> um, really putting the father in father. Uh- <laughs>
0: There's actually a piece that I found in one of the articles by Peter Lennon where he talks about Father Michael Cleary and he writes, Father Michael Cleary gave a perfect illustration of how Ireland's KGB, the clergy, operated. They were your father, your brother, your non-drinking, drinking pal. They would sing the Chattanooga shoeshine boy for you if you were dying in hospital. They were there to remind you in the friendliest way of your inherent ten- tendency to evil and extol the virtues of celibacy.
2: <laughs> the film does in different ways make that case quite kind of convincingly. So, you know, it, again, in its structure, if I'm not misremembering, you sort of go from thesis setting voiceover or maybe it, maybe it's even not, no, sorry, the film opens with a, a school child reciting, you know, clearly by rote, the nature of humanity's fallen state and how we are, you know, marked by the sin of Adam and that predisposes us to X, Y, and Z. And I think they kind of revisit it and you get a really kind of wild take from a kid who's like, well, one of the things is that it has made us less brainy. And that means, you know, if if it had not been for the fall, then we would have probably cured all of the diseases by now. But as we have not, there are stupid people. <laughs> <laughs> so it does have like school around the corner energy, but it is also kind of like... A I, I, I slightly terrifying kind of, you know, dramatization of like the indoctrination that's, that's going on. Um, there's a a bit later where it's like, you know, the, the, the threats to chastity are, and again, we get the kind of rote, like, you know, keeping bad company and reading books. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, yeah, com- company keeping as a, a sort of great danger. You wouldn't be wanting to keep company with
0: people. I loved the, the boys school section, because it was actually Peter Lennon's old school, which that's how he um, got back in, I suppose, was he rang them up and said, I used to go there. Can I come and, you know, yeah. point of camera at children? And they said, that's fine. So he came in and he obviously, like, it's wildly amusing that he had the one child who knew everything, catechism perfect, every word, every comma, full stop. And then you have the poor, unfortunate child going, because it makes us stupid. and he's just riffing like like (laughs) although there was one moment which was really interesting where the the brother because it's a brother school has his cane or a stick or whatever Mm. the fuck which he presumably is beating the children with on a regular basis because this is the 60s and he slams it on the desk and that used to happen all the way through my schooling where the teachers who had you know their They've obviously been working in the system for years. By the time we arrive, they've been working there for 20, 30 years. So they're the generation who stopped hitting children on a regular basis, like as it started to fade away. But that muscle memory of slapping,
2: slapping the table and everyone would jump. I suppose that is another element of this, right? On, On the one hand, the film does, at times with surprising candor, catalogue certain elements of a sort of what it presents as clearly a sort of institutionalized system of 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 conservatism that that it you know that it also frames as coming under a certain degree of pressure. But obviously, with the benefit of hindsight, there are telling absences, right? So the fact that you're, you know, that it is in a Christian brothers school and you're not getting any discussion of sort of institutionalized abuse and violence, the fact that Yes, you know, we hear from someone talking about kind of practicing coitus interruptus and feeling shameful even doing that. But, you know, there's no discussion of Magdalene laundries or mother and baby homes or, you know, the the real raw edge of of that kind of systematized repression and and violence and maybe it's just a victim of its own success in a certain sense, but there's something slightly rote about the way in which it kind of complains about Ireland's culture of censoriousness. Like, it's exactly the people you expect to hear from. So it is O'Fallon, and it is Conor Cruz O'Brien, of course, and, you know, and the editor of the Irish Times. You know, it's, like, for a film made in 1967, the fact that, like, there's not even, you know, where are my scraggly Irish hippies? (laughs) (laughs) where is the summer of love you know (laughs) and also you know while admittedly i guess 1967 might be a little early for things to be particularly headline-grabbingly legible there's no sense of the north and anything that might be happening there or about to happen there you know certainly the civil rights movement was well underway by then you know tensions were Legible. So it's an interestingly sort of, yeah, slightly conservative critique of conservatism.
0: <laughs> it's what really struck me as, you know, the title, The Rocky Road to Dublin. It is entirely Dublin. Mm. Like, he grew up in Dublin, of course. And so it just feels Dublin is Ireland. Ireland is Dublin. This is the theatre upon which the nation's drama is staged. So it's a strange one because it shows the GAA extensively.
2: Yeah, there's so much energy expended on being like, did you know that members of the GIA are still prohibited from playing, you know, foreign sports? And it's like, is this the hill we're dying on? Like, I under- I understand that it's like an example of how abstruse and you know, kind of navel gazing this culture is, and I suppose it's part of this thesis of like a failed republicanism. Like, we could have been a 32 county socialist republic, and instead we're we're this. And we're still wasting energy on, on this. But it's like, you could have made that point more succinctly.
0: <laughs> actually, I found the that sequence of the match itself in Crow Park, I actually found that really quite moving. It was the way that the sound was bouncing around this near-empty stadium. And you could hear the individual movements of the players as they struck the ball or they're playing hurling. So as the hurleys strike each other. And it was actually quite poignant. Because so much of what you tend to see for those big games, you know, the proof of the GA's success is a place crowded to capacity and we can't hear anything. And there was something so homely and almost domestic in a sporting sense. This was just an ordinary match. Few people standing around, looking a bit, they're just standing. Mm. But also in the sense of how it's a record of Ireland changing, everyone at the match that they show is a man or a boy. There are no women in the stands. And the GAA today is extremely popular among women and girls. It's a whole family experience now. And that's really why it remains so powerful, because unlike some sports which can seem to, you know, really bring the women in, even only in the stands. And I thought that was really interesting in the mm. sense of how it shows... If you still live in Ireland, you know how conservative the GAA can be, but yet how it has managed to transform itself in some really quite fundamental ways, you know? Yeah, yeah. like It's the same, but it's not the same. <laughs> uh, and I thought that was really interesting. So I enjoyed it from that side, but yeah, as in the sense of making a point, yeah, could have been two
2: minutes. No, and, and, and that is something like, again, talking about the way that cinematography is often doing things that elevate what this would be if it were just a more static, you know, kind of here is just voiceover, you know, image. The way that the camera consistently zeroes in on and lingers on particularly older people, particularly old men, you know, who are implied to be of the sort of generation who would remember, you know, the sort of revolutionary energies that it's kind of mourning. There are things like that that it does pretty consistently that are quietly sort of poignant and affecting in a way that, you know, hearing sort of slightly stentorian voices, like, tell you that, (laughs) you know, things are bad, you just can't quite kind of achieve. Or also the, yeah, the sort of oddly, I find at least, sort of plangent kind of figure of 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 Liam O'Brien, like, you know, his his sort of clearly a man completely stuck between, like, a a world that he... (laughs) misses in a world that he's feeling you know completely sort of lost in
0: i don't know what caused him to give such a strange interview because it isn't the usual caginess that you hear from people on the censorship boards which are very Mm. they're very deliberately bland they use a lot of bureaucratic language they just hide behind this is the law this is the way it is you know and he's like goes off in one. I mean that Latin bit where yes. he starts.
2: Yeah. I, was like, I don't know what that means, but it sounds crazy. You know. So, so yeah, for context, this is he's a he's an academic, but he's also a a member of the appeals board. So he's presumably being interviewed in that kind of capacity. But he's yeah, it's like <laughs> <laughs> just really feels like he's in this sort of existential chasm <laughs> that.
0: Yeah, at one point he says, the world is going to blazes. Mm. Like, okay. I wonder, is it the setting? Did they bring him into the like the lobby of a hotel and give him a hot whiskey or I, something? I was going
2: to say, like, yeah, I'd be intrigued to know how well lubricated he or But yeah, it's... God help him.
0: I thought one of the interesting things, actually, when you said stentorian voices, the accents... I mean
2: Conor Cruise O'Brien sounds more English than any English person I've ever met.
0: <laughs> I know. Like how long does it take for Irish people of a lot of intellectual achievement, lots of education to sound Irish instead of British?
2: Yeah. And look, you know, full disclosure like any listener currently being like I don't know that <laughs> that Lloyd one sounded pretty <laughs> should should they be casting stones in this this rather anglicized glass house i I'm, i'm aware i'm trying i'm trying here people you know jesus but but yeah it's wild it really is that that kind of you know it's it's that sort of old rte sort of version of like transatlantic you know some like somewhere with elizabeth bowen in the middle of the irish sea you know sounding very drawlingly anglo
0: Yeah, because a lot of the RT footage from that time period as well, like if you played it without the without showing their faces, you'd be like, well, that's obviously BBC. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It it is real sort of broadcast voice.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's one of those things that fascinates me as a sign of cultural change. But there is now just a standard I'm from Ireland accent that appears from everywhere when they're podcasting, when they're on the telly. You know, on the radio, they do still sound Irish. They mightn't sound like they've just come straight from the bog, but. <laughs> <laughs> so she's speaking from the bog.
2: <laughs> For our non Irish listeners, Ifa means actual bogs, not the toilets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually,
0: that wouldn't even occur to me, you see.
2: <laughs> Look, you know, we've got to. Can't keep our heads wholly out of the the gutter you know out of the sewer (laughs) (laughs) um if if listeners are interested this is not a hard thing to find if you're searching for it online let's say and even if it isn't necessarily worth watching as a kind of searing critique of you know a certain mode of of irishness it's a fascinating document of a particular moment
0: and we are lucky to be able to see it so easily because of course that's the whole story about in a way, why it's become sort of a totem of critique that was suppressed because the version you can see today was remastered by the Irish Film Institute in 2004. But before that, and certainly before the internet, you know, unless you manage to catch it in that brief moment of time in 1968, uh, nobody in Ireland got to see this.
2: Yeah, so it's it, it sort of, it's not banned by the censor, but it's prohibited... Or, you know, the, the government seems to have acted to prevent it being screened in cinemas. And it's certainly, you know, RTE want nothing to do with it. There was a press screening in Dublin in 1967, which, because it's quite critical of all aspects of the Irish press, provoked a pretty negative <laughs> response from the Irish press. And then it's it's entered for the Cork Film Festival. It's rejected on the grounds that it had already been shown in the capital, which Seems like finding a reason not to screen it. When that is sort of challenged, they renege. And then it's probably what catapults it to kind of notoriety is that it's chosen to represent Ireland for the Cannes Film Festival in 1968. But then it nearly isn't screened at all because of May 1968. So Goddard and, and Truffaut sort of pull the plug and are basically like okay right you know we're we're striking in solidarity so we're not going to screen anything anymore <laughs> and all you know and London people are like no please we, we need this so it's i think it's then screened for um strikers so it, it 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 it's this weird kind of moment of like in in a way that again seems to signal how proximate to but also far from kind of revolutionary sort of energies it is um, <laughs>
0: I just can't imagine how, if, you know, it's screened to striking French people in Paris in May 1968, what? I don't know how you would even receive it as someone in the midst of, what is almost an overthrow of the government? I mean, 1968 is pretty damn close to another revolution. Yeah. <laughs> and when you watch this, you're like, I, I just what <laughs> it's a foreign country in every way you know <laughs> it did get shown in dublin i think for about six weeks
2: with queues around the block because it's sort of so con- confined yeah
0: so it, it is seen by a number of people for a short window but for it never to appear again is really unusual because re-releasing is absolutely standard cinemas are just constantly like oh remember that thing we made loads of money off 10 years ago maybe we could get that back because people want to see it again and of course there's no other way to see a film except through re-release so it you know yeah there's all sorts of demand for it it's you know isolated from irish people really up until very recently so i think that's quite a good reason to watch it
2: actually mm. And like we say, the cinematography is is often fantastic. There's, There's also a fun, you know, I think that the moment it most sort of clinches its point about clerical control is just when it has that sort of montage of, like, lots of literal ring kissing. For listeners of a certain generation, it's not that strange at all. But, like, there's something so weird about, like, just f- Bishops in full regalia, just at random things, like just moving through you know scenes of kind of otherwise everyday life, you know in mitred and croziered and you know interacting with people. It's like, what is this?
0: <laughs> <laughs> there are not in this actually, but I have seen some extraordinary pictures of John Charles McQuade, the mm. king of this kind of get up, walking. And the camera is like, he's walking towards the camera and there are two rows of people on either side and they're all falling to their knees as he approaches, you know? And it's like, whoa, lads, I mean, you can be perfectly respectful, but this sort of deference and toadyism, not only is it bad for the people toadying, it's bad for the man at the other end. You know, this is the sort of thing that corrupts people's soul it's wrong
2: <laughs> yeah this this yeah this is how you make a, a, a tyrant of someone
0: and that that sequence of the mug shots then that they put in the rocky road to dublin where you just flash all of these blokes in ridiculous outfits <laughs> standing next to presidents and prime ministers and it's like here they are the roll call of the lads although there are so many reasons why Father Michael Cleary is, in fact the inspiration for Father Ted
2: <laughs> it's yeah,
0: a hundred percent I know he probably was like the original Jart mm. Morgan character was father trendy, wasn't it
2: oh God yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and and there are certainly there's a oh God, my lovely mayo Mammy, like that song and stuff you know there's there's yeah there's definitely lots of moments in in Ted that feel lifted from this also i feel the obligation to kind of be like with with all due contempt to grimlin and in his present form you know ni- mid-90s grimlin and you know when he was right he was right but but obviously fuck the man now but <laughs> yeah you can really see that it's hard to kind of convey to listeners you the, the you know we get this sort of discussion of like you know, the old clergy, de- like, struggling to deal with Vatican II. And then we're like, but some in the clergy are, you know, attempting to kind of adapt. And, you know, particularly of a younger generation, he's you sort of hard cut <laughs> to him you know, standing in the middle of a ward of, like, quite, yeah, you know, women who aren't well. Yeah, <laughs> si- dis- sing do-wopping, trying to get people to clap, which they don't uniformly do. <laughs> and it's like, I... I can't tell from how this is shot if I'm meant to be like, yeah, good on your man. You know, this is the reforming clergy. Or if I'm meant to be like, you know, as is happening, I'm meant to ha- feel my skin crawl away <laughs> and attempt to escape my body. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then the camera keeps focusing on his jiggling knee.
2: Mm, and we get a bit of waggling hip. Yeah, we get some... You get a
0: bit of a hip. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You're like I don't know how to feel about this either.
2: Just as a sidebar, as well, if, if you, because I had to Google him, he his Wikipedia is you know the the brief opening kind of paragraph, and then it's life, and then secret life, <laughs> and every Wikipedia has to have that division. That's a really bad sign. <laughs> yeah and it's like also just the again this is just like jesus i would not have fared well in the past like the whenever they had they they follow them to a wedding and it's like there's two priests at the wedding banquet like chatting you know like again delivering you know functional functionally sort of like priest stand-up and it's like why are we hearing from these motherfuckers why are they still here yeah, I you know, I, I understand some people you know, especially people of faith, you know, who do have a strong relationship with whoever is delivering the you know, the the ceremony, do invite them to the reception. But I'm just like, what is this? Like why you know, and, and very much based like and the pair of him or the pair of them both kind of being like look, you know, you're both about to off and do your business and we wish you well, <laughs> It's just like, this is... This is fucked. (laughs) Compulsory heterosexuality, you are wild.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we'll not talk about sex ever, except for the fact that we are somehow implying at all times that we are talking about it. Because that is the whole tone of their addresses. It's like, so, now that you're married... (laughs) Oh, did you just... No, you didn't. But you did. You somehow said the word. It's really... It's not like... And we wish them well on their life together. You know, it's not platitudes. There's this kind of subtext, double meaning thing going on the whole time. Where when we talk about marriage, we're talking about fucking.
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) A lot of creepy moments.
2: Yeah. Just... And again, very hard to infer tone with some of this about whether the film is presenting it in an air of inviting us to feel this and and letting your skin crawl a bit or if it's again if it's meant to be something a bit more benign
0: and i do think if you're irish or not i think your reactions to those scenes are going to vary because (laughs) of these social cues that you're like i don't know that that level of reticence what does that mean in that moment you know i know we are famously very chatty and all of that but there is a, a strong part of the Irish social life that involves withholding mm. as much as giving and how that's done and how that feels in the moment. Then I think it would be interesting, you know, for foreign eyes, how does that look? Does it register? I don't know.
2: I think it just all look completely bad shit. <laughs> Like, there's also there is interesting footage of more unguarded footage of people like socializing in pubs and stuff like they talk about kind of how you know now that women are allowed in the pub and then we get like a full spoons performance brother, brother just going to town on the spoons and then pulling And <laughs> it's like <laughs> and this this is where i was kind of like in you know, in San Francisco, people are like four acid tabs deep, like you know, having an orgy in a yurt, and this, <laughs> this guy is just like cracking the spoons out and getting mad see? <laughs> <laughs> By which I mean, he gets a kiss on the cheek from a young woman. Well, but you know, yeah. in the context of like the vibe of the pub, it's like, oh damn, okay.
0: yeah because there aren't that many women you get the impression there might be competition for the women in these (laughs) these spaces and the women are all drinking halves as well half pints not full pints
2: and again also just in the back of my mind i've been keeping a tally of like has there been any film we've watched set in ireland that hasn't featured multiple sequences of people playing crowd music like the film is scored by the Dubliners and, you know, it is, is that, that's a deliberate choice. And, you know, oh, okay, yeah, obligatory sequence in which we, we have everyone sit around and listen to <laughs> a few songs and get a little misty.
0: <laughs> Although it's worth saying that Fergus Linehan's praise included that this is clearly not a film made for the tourist market. That's one of the first films where it's not a tourist presentation of the country so although it includes that yeah which is true it does look like a tourist ad and I also as a as a praise you're like god is that where they are in 1967 that the only film representations made by Irish people about Ireland are come see us we're great beautiful hills Colleens yeah. Baurons Pints that's really depressing yeah <laughs> so yeah would we recommend that people watch it
2: i i think so i like not not necessarily for the, its intended purpose no <laughs> but yeah on the one hand as you say i think it's beautifully shot and there are actually quite moving currents of you know like that final sequence of just you know boys gleefully running at camera like there is you can see that there is a normal life and a vibrant life that kind of is cheek by jowl with all of this, you know, these weird, you know, <laughs> tonsured <laughs> men things. And as a, as a document of a certain moment in Irish social life, it's only about an hour.
0: Yeah, I thought it was an interesting, sort of confusing look at Ireland of the time. And then when you compare it to what similar events and similar spaces look like now, how it has changed you know the interior of schools have changed dramatically the way children are in school is profoundly different so like there was lots in it yeah i'd love to i'd love to hear from uh, people outside ireland please email us tell us did you think it was weird or <laughs> perfectly okay <laughs>
2: I was also going to say something that was very uncharitable to quite a few people, (laughs) dear to my heart. Listening to a bunch of TCD students kind of, you know, dissect the social ills of Ireland remains as as infuriating as it ever might be. I mean, (laughs) like, once I was like, oh,
0: they're from Trinity. Okay, (laughs) great. Where else would you go to find students in Ireland? Trinity. Four lads and one girl trying, like... On the verge of speaking and them going no
2: <sighs>
0: I see that in some ways <laughs> my nineteen nineties school or university experience was nineteen sixty seven. Disturbing, disturbing to me.
2: Also again, recognise I don't have a leg to stand on the- and <laughs> in that regard I'm sure (laughs) listeners are like that's what we're listening to now though isn't it right like
0: (laughs) yeah it's true I mean fair
2: (laughs) it's good to be back
0: (laughs) oh yes roll on season two (laughs) where we will talk shite endlessly
2: how do I unsubscribe from this
0: (laughs) don't give them ideas Jesus Christ
2: (laughs) get on Patreon guys come on